14-ish. Yeah, yeah, 14. Uh, Here here we go. Uh, Let's look at verse number 13, and we'll read down through. It says, Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. That God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. And this little passage here that we've been dealing with for this first section of things that we can know has um, been incredibly important, but as we're picking up here, verse number 14, we're going to be picking up in your booklet towards the end of uh, subsection testimony of the Trinitarian truth here. Um, we're kind of ending this off here. The, the Trinity is absolutely critical. And John is addressing it and dealing with it because the Gnostics denied the Trinity. Um, the Gnostics denied the, the deity of Christ or they denied his fleshly appearance. And you must have both. Jesus is not just God, but he is man. He is God. He is the God man, God in the flesh. And so this is important. As we see verse 14, we have seen to testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. But just beforehand, he talks about the giving us of the Spirit. And this is all a part of showing us that God in His uh, triune nature and in His triune work, that all things from creation to our salvation to the, one day the great consummation of all things is a work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That there is nothing um, that is not um, done uh, in togetherness and unity of the Godhead. And when we see this, this should change us, and this should affect us. It is not something that we look and we go, well, I can't understand the Trinity, so I'm just not going to deal with it or bother with it. It's important. It is absolutely important and critical because to not believe the Trinity is to truly not have an understanding of salvation, let alone to have salvation. And you would say, well, isn't salvation just as simple as trusting in, in the gospel? Well, absolutely. It is the good news, but it's the good news that is what John has just told us. That the Father sent the Son and the Son sent the Spirit. And that the, the Father gives the, the plan, if you will, the, the Son purchases us, and then the, the Spirit empowers us and, and seals us. And, uh, there, it's, it's overwhelming to see. But we have to understand this. While we can keep digging and digging and digging, though we'll never reach the bottom, we trust that God is always at work. His Word is true. And that the truth of the Trinitarian truth, revealed to us by the triune God of the Bible, who revealed himself through the apostolic witness and to us today through his written written word. We must trust in the Lord, trust in his word. It is trustworthy. And so this helps us as John is writing to be pointed to the simple truths. Remember, throughout the whole letter that John has been writing so far, he's done nothing that's been sort of earth shattering or groundbreaking. He's done nothing new. Rather, he's kept going back to the simple truth of what has already been established. And we've got to do the same. We often try to reinvent the wheel here. And what we've got to do is keep building on the same foundation that is there. Because the deeper we go with it, the higher we'll go in our worship. The deeper we go in understanding the foundational truths of Scripture, from everything from knowing God, the Trinity, um, living in Christ, the work of the Spirit, um, our salvation, our assurance of salvation. The more we dig on these things, the higher our hearts will go to worship the Lord. The, The higher our minds will go and thinking and dwelling about who God is. And as well, the, the more our hearts will be stirred to share the gospel with non-believers. The, the deeper we go in these truths, the higher and broader we'll go 
to reach out to brothers and sisters in Christ to have fellowship as he'd been talking about uh, throughout this, this chapter, uh, throughout this book. Now as we continue on here, one commentator writes, Christian certainty rests on the, this combination of the object, objective and subjective, the historical and experiential, the Son's mission and the Spirit's testimony. Here's a danger that we do face when talking about some of these fundamental truths like the indwelling Holy Spirit, the work of the Trinity and things is we can, one, we can come to this side and we can take such a high and academic approach to it that we lose all real faith with it. We are no longer affected by emotion. It is only affecting our minds, right? Our, our heads are swelling with knowledge, right? And that's great. Now, I, we, every Christian has certain doctrines and things that we should be able to certainly sort of rattle off and you should be able to know what justification, sanctification, glorification, propitiation. You should know some of these things, right? We should be able to tell what the gospel is. We should have some of these truths. In our minds, certainly at the ready. However, if it only stays academic, then we lose the heart behind it. Right, remember that we're not just saved in our minds, but it's our hearts. But there's the other danger of this group over here, and John faced this in his day, we face it in our own, that instead of doing anything remotely academic in the sense of they don't want to think at all, we just want to feel, well, that can be just as dangerous, right? The one only thinks, therefore can't feel, and this one only feels and can't think. And what do we got? We end up with both sides being dumber than a box of hammers. Right? This one thinks they've got it because they're so smart in their minds. And granted, we need to study. We need to know some things. But if in studying the Word of God does not change our hearts, then we've got to go back down to it again. We've studied for the wrong reasons. Right? Sunday school, our, our services your Bible study, your devotion time, your prayer life. This is not just to make your mind be the brightest mind in the church house. It's not what it's about. And nor is it to be the one who is so full of emotions that nobody can worship like them, right? Nobody feels the way that they do. I want you to know, there is this beautiful place where when we study the Bible, our minds are filled, and then so are our hearts which does change and affect our emotions. When we look at the truth of Scripture, it should affect us. When we do sing the truths of amazing grace or oh, how I love Jesus, our hearts should be stirred, shouldn't they? Now notice, the stirring comes from the knowledge of the truth. And it is not a new truth as the Gnostics taught. It is not a, just a personal truth or a, um, it's my own truth as today's Gnostics would teach, right? And that's what we're facing today in the wokeism world, right? It, it is, I have my truth, you have your truth, but your truth can only be your truth as long as it lines up with my truth. And if your truth affects my truth, well, then your truth is bad and you're a, you know, homophobe, bigot, what, we'll go down the list, right? And this is a dangerous place because there is only one truth and it is God's truth. And so it is understanding the truth in our minds that should fill our hearts with the truth that then lead us to this place where we do truly worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, we, we move on here and we look and we see that our salvation, everything that He has done, the Father sending the Son, the Son sending the Spirit, is, is for our salvation. It is for our sanctification, our growing in Christ, our growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord it is as well for our glorification. It is an act of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And once we understand this truth in our minds and then have experienced it, because remember, we need the hard facts, but we also need those hard facts to affect our heart, right? Or else, just having the hard facts 
makes a hard heart. We've got many who have hard hearts that have no compassion, have no love, have no grace, because the heads are so full that the hearts are empty and have grown cold or calloused. What we need, though, is to see the truth of what God has done from eternity past to eternity future to make sure that you and I would come to know Christ, to be saved, to be born again, to have our sins forgiven, to be redeemed, to be reconciled to Him, to make things right. When we understand that, that it will not just bring out some emotional response, but it will ultimately bring about obedience. This is the key. This is what John is showing here, that one of the greatest assurances of salvation and one of the greatest fruits of our salvation is that we know these things in our mind, but we also know these things in our heart, and it leads us to then obeying them in our life. If we don't know the truth, we won't believe the truth. And if we don't believe the truth, we won't live the truth. Right? Make sense? And so we've got to know We have to have our heads affected. We have to have our hearts affected in order for our hands to be affected and move for the Lord. And it must work in that way. Now, as we understand this, we see what God is doing, how God has moved, how God has worked. And here's what this leads to. In verse 15, he says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Now, you guys have seen this whosoever word before, right? John 3.16. He's written this, dealing with with Jesus' words to Nicodemus, right? Whosoever. Well, who is this for? Well, it's for whosoever. It's literally right there. It means for whoever. This shows that the gospel and knowing Jesus as Savior and growing, right? Not just knowing, but growing in Christ is for all walks of life. This is why I love when we see the pictures in, in Revelation chapter 5 where it is talking about worthy is the Lamb who has uh, brought about the salvation for people from every tribe, tongue, nation, group. Meaning this, there's nobody left out of the opportunity or ability rather to, to trust Christ. This means that there's going to be rich people, poor people, the rest of us, right? We're somewhere in between, right? We're, we're richer than poor and poorer than rich. This means that it doesn't matter if you speak English and uh, use hymn books or the King James Bible or whether you've been out in the jungle and a missionary came to you and translated the Bible into your native tongue and and you wore a loincloth and you trusted Jesus. That's who it's for. That's what whosoever's for. The gospel is for the world. The gospel is for all souls. And this is the importance of missions, by the way. To understand that God is going to save people throughout all the world, but not all the world will be saved. And this is why that we must go. We go and we take the seeds of the gospel. We take our watering cans. We take our salt. We take our light and we go out into the world everywhere that we go. And we send others that go to places that you and I might not be called to go, let alone could go. And we let God work. We let God do what only God can do. Now, he says, then whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Now we're continuing in this path of dwelling. Abiding is the idea. John dealt with it a lot in his gospel where Jesus is preaching in John 15. He is the the vine, we are the branches, right? And so talking about what it means to be in him, but at the same time for him to be in us. Our life is lived out now 
not on our own strength or our own power for our own purposes, but through Him. And I want you to know this. If you want to do the will of God, you want to know how to do it? I'm going to solve all your problems right now this morning. You ready? Okay. Just do the will of God. Abide in Him. That's it. If you can hammer that down, you can get that. Everything else will come, to, come out. It is simply abiding and trusting in Christ. It is that He is our source of strength, our source of truth, our source of grace, our source for everything in this life, and not just the source for our life, but rather He is the purpose for our life. A branch has no purpose without the tree. right? Matter of fact, the only thing it will be done and used for, and even Jesus talked about it, is to be cut down and to be cast in the fire. That's it. And so if we're wanting to see fruit and to bear fruit in our lives, and we only see that when we are in the will of God, then what do we need? Abide. Him and us. Us and Him. And it must happen together. By the way, you will not be abiding in Christ if He is not abiding in you. What it means for Him to abide in you first is that you have been born again. And the only way that there is the act of being saved or to be born again it is through this. Those who shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him, and He in God. Now this is important here. The word confess means to proclaim, to testify, to declare, to acknowledge. And I like this as well in this semantic range, to be in agreement with. Right? This means that all that Jesus is, and by the way, we don't have to try to prove who Jesus is. Jesus is who Jesus is. He is God. He is in the flesh. And I don't have to prove either one of those. In the same way that you and I, we often get a sort of drug into these things on Facebook and stuff. Well, well, how do you know God's real? Right? Well, I don't have to try to prove who God is. The Bible literally begins with, in the beginning, God. He always has been. I don't have to try to defend who He is. We, we use and have to understand that there is this presupposed understanding, not just in the Bible, but in every person's heart, that you know that we are not alone. We know that we're accountable to something, someone. We know that there is right. We know that there is wrong. And we even know what that right and that wrong is. We don't have to get taught how to lie. We don't have to get taught how to steal. Matter of fact, we're, we're told not to do those things. We naturally do those things in our own flesh. We know. But the issue is that we suppress the truth and unrighteousness until we get to that place where the Holy Spirit has convicted us of sin and shows us Christ, and then we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and it is by faith. We acknowledge, we declare. Um, it is much like with, with Romans chapter 10, uh, talking about the sort of uh, famous um, passage dealing with um, trusting Jesus. Here, I'll turn for you for just a moment so you don't have to. Um, Romans chapter 10 tells us, tells us this. Is that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then as well, he goes on to talk about that we then continue to confess in our lives the way that we live. We continue to confess Christ with our mouth. We often hear that actions speak louder than words. And to a degree, it's true. It? I mean, you know, some things do speak loud. However, when we're going to share the gospel, you can do a good deed for a neighbor, but cutting their grass or shoveling their sidewalk of snow is not going to tell them about Jesus. There must be not just a demonstration of servanthood, 
physically, but there must be a confession with the mouth. Right? And if, and if they have a hard time communicating that way, maybe they're hard of hearing, maybe they're even deaf, we can write. We can find plenty of resources to still get the gospel that way. But there must be this confession, this proclamation about who He is. We must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That He is God in the flesh. That He is who He said He was. He did what He said He did. And we have the knowledge of those things, not according to the world's books and standards and ideas, but rather from the Word of God itself. 1 John chapter 4, verse 2 tells us, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Right? So, if you want to live a Spirit-filled life, if you want to be in the Spirit, if you want to be led of the Spirit, obedient to the Spirit, if you want to even know what that means, and by the way, that makes us so nervous as Baptists sometimes talking about the Spirit. We often go, as Baptists, we go, well, we got the Father and we got the Son and the Holy Spirit's inside of us. We just don't talk about Him. We leave that for the Charismatics. I want you to know, they don't own the Holy Spirit, right? And you and I get so afraid about talking about Him, and He's not an it, He's a Him, he is eternal, co-equal with the Father and the Son. He is the one who drew you unto salvation, to repentance, and pointed you to Christ through His work. We must know the Spirit of God because I want to be a Spirit-filled man, let alone a Spirit-led, Spirit-filled pastor. Every believer is called to walk in the Spirit. We're even told about the fruit of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. And if we want the fruit of the Spirit, he says here, hereby we know the Spirit of God, hereby we can have this assurance that the Spirit is in us, that every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Here's the issue that we're facing. Sorensen writes about this. He says, whereas he had countermanded the error of the Gnostics earlier, John here touches upon the more pervasive heresy of the Jews. They to this day freely admit that Jesus of Nazareth was a historical figure. However, rabbinical Judaism likewise to this day categorically rejects the proposition that Jesus is the Son of God. It is in this context that John notes that God dwelleth in him and he in God. To so confess that Jesus is the Son of God tantamount to receiving him as Lord and Savior as well. Then and only then God dwells in us and we in him. So the idea is John is writing here that we must confess or whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. It is the idea of agreeing with all that Jesus is, all that Jesus had done, including His death, burial, and resurrection. It is to trust by faith and to be born again. Now, there were some, of course, as he's talking about here, and as, as Sorensen wrote a little bit about, historically what was happening and what happens still today is that the Jews were saying Jesus was a real person, but He was not God. Now, Jesus is certainly a real person, but if He's not God, then He can't be a Messiah. He can't be Savior. He can't be Redeemer. He must be God. But He had to as well be man to be put to death as our substitute. So we see the need for this. The Gnostics had their issues of either denying deity or denying that He actually came in the flesh. But for the Jews, they knew He was there. Many of them had seen Him. Even many of them were walking around healed because He had healed them. But yet there were many, though, who denied that He was God. They looked and they said, and they looked back at the law, and they said, well, there are no other gods except for God. And God can't come in the flesh, is what they argued. Uh, that, that would be so degrading, so um, de-deifying. Uh, de it, would, it would take away who He is. 
He's the one who showed himself in the, the burning bush in Mount Sinai. He can't come in mortal flesh like us. But he had to, and that's what they missed out on. That's what they missed out on. That's why the book of Hebrews is absolutely so incredibly important to show. Yes, those things were there, but Christ is the fulfillment. Christ is the greater sacrifice, the greater high priest, the greater prophet, the greater king. This is why it's so important. Now, as we, we look here, we see the confessing of who Jesus is. This is sort of a, the doctrinal statement. This is the very basic, if you will. A statement of faith. As another writes, to believe in Christ and to love the brethren are not conditions by which we may dwell in God, but rather are evidences of the fact that God has already taken possession of our lives to make this possible. Now here's what this is leading to. He says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him and He in God. So there's our abiding. But then we get into this. With understanding that whosoever shall confess that we see that as we confess Him, this is going to lead us to live the life that we are designed now to, to, to live for Christ, but as well that we are then going to share a love because life and love both find their source in Jesus. It is He who is the resurrection of life. It is He who, as uh, we've talked about already, that God is love, that God is light. John has already talked about this in, in this book already. And we see that by understanding this, by confessing this same Jesus, that it then leads to us confessing each other as brothers and sisters, and not just by saying, well, yes, they go to the same church as I do, right? Because there's a difference, right? There's plenty of people who aren't my brothers and sisters that go to the same grocery store as I do, right? I don't know who they are, right? Oh, well, we go to the same food line, right? <laughs> I mean, we don't say that, do we? We talk about that with church. Oh, well, that's, that's so-and-so, right? We go to the same church. Well, that's nice. But there's something different about just going and knowing somebody at Food Line or at church compared to going and confessing that they are a brother and a sister. Right? Yesterday, we were in, in Hobby Lobby, my favorite place to go. Any other men? Right? <laughs> yeah, of course not. Right? No, we go because we, we love our wives and we, we enjoy it. Right? I'm going to keep digging. This is going to get bad. All right. Let's move forward in this. As we're checking out, right, she's fulfilled her duty of shopping, and I'm fulfilling my duty of swiping the card, right? But as we're there, there's two ladies in front of us. And as they're, as they're checking out, one side note, and this has nothing to do with anything, but it was funny. One of the ladies was buying a, a was it called, wind chime? That thing? And that thing was the biggest wind chime I think I've ever seen, and the loudest and, and there's no bags for that. And so that was, that already got my attention. Kami's going, quit laughing. Stop, stop, just behave, just behave, right? I'm trying to behave. But then, as, as just as they're talking, the cashier asked him, well, how do you guys know each other? You guys, you guys sisters, friends? And I said, well, well, yeah, we're, we're friends, but we may as well be sisters. Now, I say all that, not to talk to you about Hobbit, but to bring back to the point about church. We're not just friends. Right? Friends might see each other at food line. Friends might see each other maybe at church. But we're brothers and sisters. There's a deeper bond given to us. Why? Because we confess the same thing. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. We confess the same truth of the Gospel. This is why as well that I can have brothers and sisters in Christ who do not have every little thing lined up the same exact way that I do. 
and they can still be brothers and sisters. They can have a difference of opinion on, on, on some things. And, and we go, all right, hey, still brother or sister. I'll see you in heaven, right? We might not agree with everything on, on, this, on this earth, and that's okay. To be honest with you, I, I don't agree with everybody in here, and certainly everybody in here doesn't always agree with me, and, that, and that's all right on some things. But there is a basic truth that we must agree on because it is the very root of our salvation. That is to confess Jesus Christ as God. So if we have that, what do we have? If you confess it, and you confess it, 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 right? And I confess it. When we confess that same truth together, then I can then as well confess, you're my brother, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my sister, you're my sister, right? We can confess that truth. Therefore, we can have fellowship. Therefore, we can have love and life together. Now we get to verse 16 and we'll be done. He says, And we have known and believe the love that God hath to us. I want to stop there for just a moment. This is incredibly important, right? It is not just that we know that God loves us, but that we believe that God loves us. Sometimes, and let's be real, real with ourselves, and even as a pastor, I deal with this. I want you to know you're not alone. If You might be the only person in this room besides me that feels this way sometimes, where we think that we're so far from God's love or just things are all cattywampus in our, in our spiritual walk. Everything is, I mean, everything's just out of whack. Right, You feel like you're praying, and sometimes it just hits the ceiling and bounces back. You just feel like, I'm not in some sort of egregious sin, but I'm just sort of, ugh, right, just floating along. Right? I want you to know that there are those times that we face it. We go, I know that God loves me. My mind knows that truth, but sometimes because of maybe sin or, or just the, the distractions of life that my heart forgets to believe it. Anyone ever face that? Right? Where you know the truth of what God has said and who God is, but sometimes your heart just is so downcast. Your heart just goes, how could God love me? It's just so bad. I, I, don't, even know, I don't even know what I'm doing. I, I'm not a good Christian. I'm, I'm terrible. At, I'm a terrible church member. I'm a terrible Christian. I'm a terrible this. I sinned again. Right? What we've got to do is we've got to get to this place where we not just know that God loves me, but we believe and trust in that same very love of God. As a pastor, I want to be as real with you as I possibly can be. There's many times that as a pastor, we, we kind of get to this place sometimes where we're struggling ourselves and we, we know all the right answers, right? I'm the one that's got to tell everybody the right answer. <laughs> or at least I give an answer and at least sometimes I go, yeah, this is right, yeah, no. <laughs> No, but we're always giving answers. We're always studying. We're always learning and trying to, to fill up our, our minds and, and praise God for that. But sometimes we forget to fill up our hearts. And I'll be in a funk sometimes. And yes, as a pastor, I get into a spiritual funk sometimes. And when I'm in that spiritual funk, I'll be walking and praying and going, God, I, I know these things. My mind knows what to do. My mind knows to turn to you. My mind knows to trust in your love, to trust in these things. But my heart just feels empty. So what do we find? We find this, that we know and believe in the love of God toward us. The life and love of God indwells every believer. Therefore, our life must be full of love of God toward Him first, and then towards our brothers and sisters in the faith. We see how this goes. 
as we know more the depths and the heights and the width of God's love, and we believe and we're changed by it, then what happens? He says then that God is love and He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in Him. We see that this love fills us up and then as He's going to get into, then we're able to then show it to others. God has given us His light. God has given us life, eternal life. God has given us his love. And we can know these things and have assurance of these things. And so when your heart is struggling, maybe as he had talked about already earlier on in chapter 4, where our hearts are, are failing us in things, where our, our hearts condemn us, excuse me, at the end of chapter 3 rather, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. We can know and rest assured that God's love for you has never changed or wavered. And there's nothing that has ever brought a separation from you and the love of God. There's nothing that can, can take you from God's love. So if your mind is telling you, God loves you, God loves you, but your heart is screaming, there's no way he can, come back to the Scripture and look at this truth and believe once more. If you want any further proof of it, if your heart needs more convincing, then go look at the cross long and hard and see what Jesus has done. One commentator writes, Without the Holy Spirit, our minds are dark and our hearts cold. Only the Holy Spirit can enlighten our minds to believe in Jesus and warm our hearts to love God and each other. So believing and loving are evidence that His Spirit is at work within us. And Spurgeon wrote, To feel God's love is very precious, but to believe it when you do not feel it is the noblest. And I would add to... That dear brother, it's a hard thing, isn't it? Because what we're talking about, we often feel the, lo the love of God, and, and that's a great thing to have that closeness with God, right? The, the greatest moments of our life, let alone our spiritual life, are in those moments where we feel the Lord. It's like He's right there. But then to believe it when we don't always feel, it's a noble thing. It's a greater thing. Because... There's many times in our Christian life, in our Christian walk, that we don't always have the goose pimples on our arms and on the back of our neck. We don't always feel so close. We don't always feel like everything is right as rain. But we believe anyways. Because if I base my salvation or my walk with the Lord, let alone my eternity and security in heaven, based upon how I feel, I would be one miserable wreck. I must base it off the truth of who God is and what He has done. Therefore, the love of God should be our place of refuge and strength for the Christian life. We are to abide in the love of God as the love of God abides in us. And one who does this will live a truly loving life for God. So if we want to truly live our life, it begins with confessing Jesus. But in confessing Him, what we find is the love and life that God truly has for us. And next week we'll look at how knowing these things then allows us to then show these things to our brothers and sisters in the faith. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time. Grateful that we can gather, we can study Your Word. And Lord, I pray that we would be filled uh, by Your Spirit and, and Lord, filled, Lord, with Your love as we've talked about, God. I pray, God, that You would prepare our hearts for uh, this time of worship as we're about to 
uh, be able to enjoy and to give back to you as well, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper this morning. And God, that you would accomplish great things through the preaching of your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you and we thank you for this time. We give it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, we'll take a pause for the calls. Any men that want to come pray, we've got a men's prayer room over here, and the ladies have one just in that hallway as well.